0: Hi, welcome to Canna Confidential. I'm your host, Jewel Peter, and on this podcast, we discuss the state of the cannabis industry, as well as any insights we feel might be valuable to our listeners. So without further ado, we'll get to the content. Thanks for joining us. Hello, everyone. This is Jewel. And so today we're going to talk about uh, the pressure that's rising for Ontario to go to a different model for retail And then we're also going to touch on uh, what they're going to do instead of having the uh, Ontario Cannabis Store supply all of the cannabis to the retailers. We'll talk about the U.S. decriminalizing cannabis, about um, the slap on the wrist that CanTrust received and why that's impactful for you and your cannabis cultivation. And then we'll talk about cannabis globally. So... According to Global News, there's a growing legal industry where there wasn't one before, but there have also been collapsing share values and massive layoffs and people involved in Canada's cannabis industry say some of the issues just come with the territory of companies that have been pressured to get too big too fast, which we've touched on in multiple conversations with regards to LPs. And the fact that legal cannabis still costs a lot more than the competing gray and black market product but over and over again, members of the cannabis industry have said that the main problem is the painful lack of retail presence in high population provinces like Quebec, like Ontario. And you you would probably be wondering what a lack of stores would mean and why that matters so much. Well, most provinces on the first day of legalization opened online cannabis retail sites where it isn't all that much harder to buy legal cannabis than it would be to buy a book from Indigo or a pair of socks online. But one of the surprises of legalization is that it's really hard to get Canadians to buy cannabis online. For whatever reason, it seems Canadians want to see and smell cannabis before buying it and talk to the people who are selling it. And there's a lingering um, uneasiness about the lack of data and the the trail that that indicates that an online purchase leaves. And so why does this matter? What this could mean for the future of the cannabis industry is allowing small businesses to sell directly from their facility. And that's our opinion but the writing is on the wall people want the experience especially new cannabis users want the experience of working with someone in regards to their purchase so when you're buying something like a medication online or if you were to buy a medication online you wouldn't necessarily just if you could go on and buy uh, any sort of antibiotic on a medical pharmacy website You wouldn't necessarily go and do that because you'd want to talk to a doctor first and even after you talk to a doctor then you might be comfortable doing that but you wouldn't necessarily go on there and try and self-prescribe a certain medication for whatever you think might be the issue you'd want to talk to a professional and you would want to get their opinion on what they felt was best in regards to their expertise it's the same kind of thinking if you were to go to a restaurant that you'd heard a bunch about and ask the server which dishes are the best or which ones are selling the best because they have more experience in regards to what's available what works best for what and while they don't necessarily understand your cannabinoid system because we don't have enough research to determine exactly what strains work best for which cannabinoid systems that exist in your endocannabinoid system It's helpful being guided by at least another human being who has an idea of how well the product is going to work on you. And I think that's why we're seeing Canadians refraining from buying cannabis online because one, they don't know the quality that they're going to get. And two, for people who've never used before, how do they know that they're choosing the right option based off of some description on a website that they've never been to before? And this is why the writing is on the wall, as I said, for the cannabis industry to allow, I mean, they're probably going to allow LPs to do it as well, but it would make more sense for them to allow microcultivators to have a small storefront as well and sell directly from their facility so that consumers can go and talk to the person who's growing the product that they're using. And in terms of having a microcultivation, it would be a lot more personable And it would be a personal experience for the person coming to the facility because they're probably going to be talking to someone who has a very good idea of what's growing in that space, what kind of effect it's going to have on that person. And if they aren't hands-on growing it, they'll at least have access to the people who can answer those kinds of questions for the consumer. So if Ontario is struggling with their... And Quebec, if they're both struggling with the lack of retail facilities. Well, that's that's good news for microcultivators and LPs alike. So according to BNN Bloomberg Ontario has plans to let the private sector handle the cannabis distribution moving forward. Ontario is gradually reducing its exposure to the legal cannabis industry an email obtained by BNN Bloomberg shows the province plans to allow the private sector to handle distributing cannabis from producers to retailers and the email which was sent to Canadian licensed producers late on Tuesday this Tuesday shows that Ontario plans to soon adopt a new measure to allow for a quote third-party centralized distribution system The changes follow feedback the Ontario Cannabis Store solicited from the industry last month to determine whether it should get out of its wholesale cannabis business. The email also stated that the OCS, the Ontario Cannabis Store, is seeking further consultation with industry participants interested in services where cannabis can be shipped directly from a cannabis producer to a retailer, sidestepping a wholesale operator entirely. And why is this relevant for you? Well, Ontario has the largest population of all the provinces, so it only makes sense to allow more access to cannabis in the form of retail opportunities. And if the Ontario Cannabis Store steps aside in terms of being a wholesaler, that means that cannabis producers and cultivators can ship directly to whatever retailer. They don't have to go through an LP, they don't have to go through an LP to the Ontario Cannabis Store and then have the Ontario Cannabis Store sell it wholesale to a retail facility, which is why the price of cannabis in these retail facilities is so much higher and the quality isn't what people who are used to purchasing cannabis in the gray and black market are used to experiencing. So if wholesale, if cultivators were allowed to sell directly to retailers, that would cut out The middlemen of the LP in terms of a cultivator, the chain of delivery to a consumer, which now looks like microcultivator to the LP, LP to the Ontario cannabis store, Ontario cannabis store to the licensed retailer, would now cut out both the Ontario cannabis store and the licensed producer and connect microcultivators directly with licensed retailers. So it would lower the cost for the consumer while also allowing the Microcultivator cultivator to make more because there's not as many middle parties that have to also get a cut out of the payment. And ultimately, I think what would be ideal is if a micro-cultivator could have a partnership with a retail facility and then ship directly to the consumer, thereby circumventing the timeline that it would take for the cannabis to go from the micro-cultivator to the retailer and then from the retailer to the individual but then again people would want you'd have to supply the retailer with samples at least so that people could see and smell and touch the product until the entire market is used to and has a sense of what they can expect at least from that particular retailer and grower relationship so that the online sales can continue to grow without the the stigma that people have about not knowing what they're going to receive. So this has been an interesting part of the conversation that we're going to get into now in terms of the cannabis industry. And that's because while Canada is a large market, we have a Southern neighbor who is an even bigger market. And while a few of the states have legalized, there isn't a federally legal stance for cannabis. And medical cannabis is legal in a lot more states than it is recreationally, but a federal cannabis legislation that allows for very similar to the Canadian legislation that allows for recreational as well as medicinal would be huge for the U.S. and it would be huge for Canada in terms of exporting. So according to a secondary BM Bloomberg article, the U.S. House has passed Moore Act, and that's M-O-R-E Act, to decriminalize cannabis. And although it's unlikely to pass the Senate, and the U.S. House Representatives Judiciary Committee approved the legislation on Wednesday to decriminalize marijuana and reassess convictions for cannabis at the federal level. The Marijuana Opportunity Reinvestment and Expungement Act was approved by the committee 24 to 10 Wednesday and is now set for a wider vote in the House. However, while the bill's passage marks a significant step in legalizing and fully liberalizing cannabis in the U.S., it's unlikely to find enough votes to pass in the Republican-controlled Senate. Currently, 33 states and the District of Columbia have legalized cannabis for medical or recreational use. So what we're seeing here is a, a step towards progress. While we do have an election coming up in the U.S., And the whole world is going to be watching because there will be a lot of topics that can affect the rest of the world in terms of what the U.S. decides to do in a lot of areas, but also in cannabis. And so what we're seeing here is the fact that Canada is having an impact on what's going on in the U.S. because this is more writing on the wall. The U.S. is ultimately going to legalize cannabis, whether it happens in this election or the next one or 20 years from now ultimately it's going to happen. And I'm speculating that the U.S. has been watching Canada, and it's now clear that legalizing cannabis won't cause an overthrow of government and absolute total anarchy. And so the U.S. is starting to take baby steps towards the inevitable. And I think that there's a lot of people out there who are watching what's happening in Canada, which is a smaller market. But I think there was a serious, although Somewhat uh, unnecessary concern in the US that legalizing cannabis would lead to some kind of anarchy of hippies trying to take over and change the way everything happens in the US. And as we all know, that's not the case, and is certainly not been the case here in Canada. So I think Canada is sort of a model in terms of what is possible. And of course, there are things that could be done better. But I think the the thing to take away from this article specifically is that we are moving a lot closer to legalization on a federal level for the U.S. than we have been at any point prior to this. And that's why it's very important to continue to work things in a way here in Canada that they are on track so that when it comes time to start exporting to other countries for yourself or for the industry at large, that you are prepared to do that and in the best position to do so. So now I want to talk with you about something interesting that uh, I think will shed a lot of light on a particular point that people have made in regards to Health Canada. So according to the same article, a cannabis company, CanTrust Holdings, has said that the Toronto Stock Exchange is reviewing the company's eligibility for continued listing on the exchange. The company, which has been under fire since it disclosed in July that Health Canada had discovered illicit cultivation in unlicensed rooms at its Pelham Ontario greenhouse, says the Toronto Stock Exchange is reviewing the listing, because of its failure to file its recent financial statements, Cantrust says it is working with an independent auditor and expects to file the financial statements and related disclosures before the deadline, which is spring 2020, and Health Canada suspended Cantrust licenses to produce and sell cannabis in September. The company has submitted a detailed remediation plan to Health Canada and expects to complete the work described in the plan by the end of the first quarter of 2020. So why does that matter at all to you, a micro-cultivator, or someone interested in a microcultivation? Well, it's because a lot of people think that Health Canada is, <clears throat> is the uh, sort of like big brother, that they're watching you and waiting for you to screw up. And that's just not the case. What this article is an example of is what happens when you don't stay compliant with Health Canada and the CRA, in terms of your financial reports and disclosing exactly your growing practices and the the areas that are used for growing. But this is a great lesson to let people know that Health Canada is willing to give you time to make remediation efforts. They want Canadian businesses to be successful, but it needs to be done properly and it needs to be done above board. So it's not so much that Health Canada is big brother, it's that Health Canada is trying to look out for the best interest of all Canadians involved. And that includes this consumers and ultimately the customers who will be consuming this cannabis. Because if we go back to what CanTrust Holdings was doing in Pelham Ontario, that cannabis that was being grown sort of behind a false wall, how do we know that that was going to be tested? How do we know that they didn't have intentions to sell that into the black market? How do we know that it wasn't contaminated and that they were upholding the same growing practices? We wouldn't know that because health Canada didn't have access to the information of the fact that they were growing this extra cannabis that they had not disclosed. So the takeaway is that Health Canada is not the enemy in this case at all. They're trying to help you run your business in the way that is going to ultimately be most successful and morally upstanding for you. And that they're willing to give you opportunities to make corrections. So they have suspended CanTrust license. They have not removed it entirely. They have not revoked it. And so there's still a good chance that if Health Canada sees their remediation plan and that that trust can be repaired that there is the opportunity for can trust to continue to cultivate moving forward and the same would be said for somebody who makes an accidental mistake where this was quite intentional but to say that health canada is willing to work with you in terms of trying to help you be the most successful business owner while also protecting the consumer at the same time. So now we're going to talk about cannabis globally and so according to MJBizDaily, the Danish government is engaging stakeholders about the future of the country's medical cannabis pilot program but industry and government sources say the talks are at an early stage and a decision won't be made until after the scheme's formal evaluation next year. Denmark's four-year medical cannabis trial program launched January 1st, 2018, and a lot of money is at stake in regards to this program. Nearly three dozen companies have invested hundreds of millions of dollars into the country via cultivation and processing facilities, including Canadian firms, Atlas Biotechnologies, Aurora Cannabis, AFRIA, ICC International Cannabis, The Green organic Dutchman, and canopy growth. And these are all the kinds of baby steps that are so encouraging for all of us to notice, because we're going to keep seeing these kinds of changes around the globe. More and more countries are testing the waters of cannabis legalization. And with one or two countries taking the lead, as Canada has done in federal legalization, to a certain degree, other countries are seeing that that's it's a reality, it's a possibility and although it might look a little bit different for them, it does it doesn't mean that the country is going to descend into chaos of drug users, that the the plant has been stigmatized and that's really coming to light for more and more people and more and more governments as well and they're listening to their citizens and listening to the research and ultimately what people want and what people what is fair for them to have access to. And as more and more countries come on board, we're going to see legalization spread and that increase for exporting opportunities is going to also increase for those who are already in the industry. So while this isn't something that would currently affect you directly, these are the kinds of things that you want to know so you know where the state of the global industry is at. Because while the global industry right now is fairly small, it's not going to remain small. And this is all the kind of information that's letting us know that the industry is growing and that it's growing at a fairly quick rate all over the world, not just in Canada or the US, but everywhere. So now let's talk specifically about a company or about a country, sorry, that is uh, accepting imports from other countries in regards to cannabis. And this specifically is very interesting because it's something that I think a lot of people are unaware of and they're unaware of specifically what it means. So first we're going to touch on what it means and then we're going to get into the article and then we'll discuss uh, what that exporting to Germany and that Germany is importing cannabis, what that means. So first, what is irradiation? Radiation is the release of energy in the form of particles or waves and irradiation describes those particles or rays falling onto a surface. So if radiation is penetrating a subject or an item, uh, the best way to picture it is to sort of think of an apple sitting in uh, like an incubator and that radiation is sent through this incubator through gamma waves and it's going through the apple where irradiation is those particles of radiation falling onto the surface of the apple and so what that means is that the apple itself hasn't necessarily experienced radiation but any of the bacteria or particles that would be on the surface of said apple have experienced radiation. And that the goal is to prevent bacteria by effectively killing or halting the cells from uh, multiplying. So why does that matter at all? Well, by now, according to our article, most people are aware that exports, medical cannabis has been exported to Germany And it's the largest importer of medical cannabis flower in the world. Achieving European Union good manufacturing practices in order to export to Germany is a prerequisite. But beyond getting that certification, certain quality requirements could have huge implications if they're not considered and integrated into a business plan well in advance of any exports taking place. So one example of this is the microbiological quality of flour. Companies that grow a product that is not compliant within the acceptable microbial levels of the European pharmacopoeia have no other option than to irradiate their cannabis flour. If they want to be able to export to Germany for pharmacy dispensing, they have to meet this certain standard. However, even companies that grow, quote, clean product might want to consider irradiation as a part of a business decision involving safety considerations. The companies might might want the microbial count to be as close to zero as possible in consideration of patients with a depressed immune system. It is generally accepted that irradiation does not change the levels of THC or CBD, but it does reduce the presence of some of the terpenes. Some argue that less terpene content diminishes the therapeutic value of the flower, which is an argument for not irradiating product, and that is why it is important that testing is done in accordance with the German pharmacopoeia monograph, which establishes a detailed testing methodology, as well as procedures the European pharmacopoeia describes for testing different contaminants. And so I just wanted to touch on Irradiation from a different source so that you have multiple perspectives. So, food irradiation, and this is from the Food Commission website, food irradiation can and has been used to mask poor hygiene practices in food production. With irradiation, contamination can be sterilized. This reduces the incentive to clean up sloppy food processing operations. The industry is provided with a, quote, quick fix as an alternative to dealing with the sources of the problem. The consumer has a right to expect a clean product, yet irradiation can lead to the increased production of contaminated uh, food or product that it has dirt, but it's, quote, clean dirt, And if they succeed, ongoing industry efforts in the U.S. to substitute the term irradiation on irradiated food labels with terms such as cold pasteurization could serve to confuse and mislead consumers. And why does this matter, this conversation about irradiation? Well, it matters because we don't have enough information. So there's concern that the irradiation is causing certain levels of bacteria to be destroyed, but it's also destroying certain levels of uh, vitamins or minerals that could be present as well. And it, it could be altering, Other cannabinoids, not necessarily CBD or THC, but ultimately the plant is experiencing some level of radiation and it's not clear what the radiated bacteria from the surface of the product has on the effect of the person ingesting the product. There just haven't been enough tests because the studies haven't been conducted for long enough to determine whether irradiation is safe long-term for human consumptions. There are studies on both sides, but it ultimately comes down to your choice in regards to the product that you're producing. And the most important part of making any choice is being properly informed. So whether you find that irradiation is a good fit for your product and the goals that you have for your product in terms of medical use, recreational use, the consumers that you're selling to, or whether you find that irradiation is not necessary for you. Either way, the most important thing is to make an informed decision that increases the consideration of the safety for your particular consumer. So now we're going to touch on German sales and that cannabis is being covered by insurance companies in Germany. So according to a separate article from MJ Biz Daily, the sales of medical cannabis covered by insurance continue to increase in Germany, reaching new highs in the second quarter, according to newly released data, and that's the second quarter of 2019. The steady growth in sales in the world's largest importer of medical marijuana is a good sign for the global industry And it comes as several countries are gearing up to start large-scale MMJ exports, and MMJ stands for medical marijuana. Medical marijuana reimbursements reached 29.5 million euros, which is 32.3 million U.S. dollars, for the April-June period, up 20% over the previous quarter, when 24.5 million euros worth of medical cannabis was reimbursed by statutory health insurers. So what we're seeing is a continuation of the normalization of cannabis and the acknowledgement that it does have medical benefits for specific ailments. In Germany, the requirements to receive medical cannabis or medical marijuana are are fairly high. It has to be considered a severe condition for someone to be prescribed cannabis, and it is supposed to be utilized as somewhat of a last resort option but the interesting thing about it is they obviously are acknowledging the fact that it does have medical benefits even if that's just pain relief for the person who's receiving the cannabis treatment because the the insurance companies would not be covering it if it wasn't considered legitimate so this is the kind of evidence that we're seeing that's coming up it's sort of popping up in different places pretty globally and we're seeing people acknowledging the fact that cannabis does have medicinal qualities that it is something that governments should and could recognize in terms of medical use and the next step from there is the recreational aspect of the market and and a lot of people recreational is a loose term so some people might be using it in place of wine at night Some people might be using it because they know that they experience anxiety, but it's not to the level where it would be considered a severe medical condition, but they know themselves and they know that cannabis can help them uh, curb those feelings of anxiousness. So recreational is a somewhat flexible term in that a lot of people think that recreational means uh, sort of like a party situation. But that's that's not always the case. And I think that's really what we're going to start to see in different governments around the world as recreational cannabis is legalized. It's going to be because people are realizing that the term recreational isn't exactly the right term to describe what cannabis can do for people who have mild anxiety or who experience uh, mild episodes of depression that necessarily wouldn't require a medication but would increase the person's quality of life in regards to no longer experiencing these mild episodes so that's our conversation for today have you met Mary Jane? thanks so much for listening if you have any questions about have today's topics or the cannabis Jane? industry in general Feel free to send an email to jewel at cwcultivations.com. That's c-w-c-u-l-t-i-v-a-t-i-o-n-s.com.